0: The Block Talk podcast started because of my passion for the property management industry. I wanted to start a conversation and add some value within the industry with a diverse range of people and professionals who can add something extra. As we start out, my aim is that the podcast offers some useful insight into a variety of views, opinions, thoughts, and foresights from our guests who include business leaders and industry experts. If you enjoy the podcast and want to find out any other information, head on over to BrianWelsh.co.uk. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Block Talk podcast with me, Brian Welsh and Jax Bruce. Jax, how are you? Uh,
1: Yeah, I'm good, Brian. I am very well. I had a nice Weekend, we had a community garden event in our local square, which was very well attended, and everyone enjoyed themselves, the kids did as well, so it was. It's a really good day out in out, outdoors and tidying up the space and stuff. So it's lovely. How are you doing?
0: Um, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm gonna I'm looking forward to a weekend of doing nothing because the last couple of weekends have been fairly busy. Um, so it was um, I was in London at the weekend, actually socially. Awesome, yeah. um, so so yes, it. um I'm looking forward to some downtime. So um, cool so today we have the pleasure of talking to andrew Bulmer, who I've, I've i've the pleasure of meeting on a number of occasions as well who is now ceo of the newly formed property institute prior to the merger andrew was ceo of the irpm and was residential director of rex uk from 2013 to 2016. andrew is also a media spokesperson appearing on radio for today money program the one show sky news and is a regular conference speaker Andrew, thanks very much for coming on. It's great to great to speak to you today. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing well. Hello, it's uh, it's good to be here. No, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. It's nice to have a little bit of warm weather, um, and I've just come back from a week away on uh, on a narrowboat um, in the nice. uh, in the Welsh valleys, so uh,
0: up at Llangollen. So, yeah, feeling good. Good, good. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear you saying uh, you're glad to get some warm weather because Jack's now both in Glasgow and looking out the window, it is chucking it down. It's warm rain now today, so, uh, so, um, which is good. So, OK, so um, the IRPM and ARMA have now merged. Can you tell us your hopes for the future of the Property Institute and how it will benefit the industry?
2: I think the marriage came about really from a, a, a combination of a compelling logic, a compelling need. Um, and also the the way that the two organisations were operating. So to uh, summarise, the IRPM is the professional body for individuals, approximately 6,000 members across the UK in in the various different jurisdictions, uh, managing big scary buildings. um, Armour was England and Wales based, and um, the membership was uh, firms. Um, around about 350 firms plus associated partners and, uh, and other industry stakeholders. So, ARMA did the p- firms and IRPM did the people, um, but they're in the same sectors. And yeah. there was a logic to bringing the two together because as the building safety crisis unfolded, we we found that um, uh, the former ARMA uh, chief exec, he's now um, exec chair of um, uh, TPI, uh, Nigel Glenn. Nigel Glenn and I were in the same meetings day after day after day. Um And uh, we used to joke that we saw more of each other than we did of our families <laughs> with <laughs> with some degree of truth, uh, but more importantly, it was apparent that the values of the two organizations the asks of the two organizations were were the same you couldn 't get a rizzler between them
0: yeah
2: and uh, and so through natural cooperation and teamwork, it became very obvious that um, uh, we would be um uh, there, there will be a benefit to bringing the resources of the two organizations together now i say that because the property management sector has got some huge challenges ahead of it yep. um, it has obviously the building safety challenge and, and that that's a technical challenge it's you're doing new things learning new stuff but also it's a cultural change it goes deeper than just um uh, uh, you know learning a new set of rules um, it's about how we think um, and how we approach our buildings on a safety-first basis. So there's a culture change piece there. Um, in England and Wales, of course, we've got the leasehold and common hold reform agenda, yep. uh, which is coming thumping down the track, and that's going to be seismic. Wherever you are on the planet, we're facing a net zero challenge. And um, I, I'm quite convinced that the property management sector has yet to get its head fully around the implications of the net zero challenge. That's not a criticism of the industry, um, apart from the fact that we've been distracted by grandpa, etc. cetera. Um, the, the, the clarity over what needs to be done to hit net zero simply isn't there. So we're on yeah. a voyage of discovery, but my goodness, this is gonna be a big, big thing. Yeah, And it's gonna dominate um, our professionals' lives for the next 20, 30 years. It'll certainly see me out. Yeah, and we're yeah. doing all that against a background of a, a, a consumer culture um, which is um, it is going to continue to rise inexorably as our industry, um, which is a service industry, as compared to the service standards of um, Netflix and you know, Amazon. With if you're in a city now, you can get two-hour deliveries on some Amazon stuff. Yeah, and you can track all your package. You know, where's my package? It's eight stops away. Uh, well, where's my where's my um, uh, contractor that's going to empty the overloaded bin store? You know, they're four stops away. Where, where's that kind of information? So. The the march of consumer information and consumer service will inexorably continue. So if you put all of those different culture changes and legal changes together, you've got a a massively challenged industry. And the same will apply to many other industries, whether it's fisheries or car making or whatever. But my goodness, you need a a professional body that's got a bigger engine uh, to be able to power the industry through all of those changes. So, by combining the two teams, uh, we're now able to focus uh, the combined two teams into uh, the various different channels far more effectively um, to get more support out to members. um it's important to note when we when we put the merger one of the first things that we told the staff team and we've been good to it is that this is not about making efficiencies so that we can let people go this is about making efficiencies because we needed to do more and in fact not only have we kept everyone but we're recruiting so the team gets bigger uh, and it gets more powerful and it's about it's about really supporting the industry and, the, and and we do that on um, a number of different levels, clearly qualifications and skills, but also those practical pieces of information, what we call the, the single side of A4. Give me a single side of A4. Um, you know, tell me how to do my job on a single side of A4. Yeah. Yeah, tell me what I need to know. Um, and that's what, that, that's what industry needs. That's what industry um, uh, calls for. So that's what we're in the business of delivering. Okay. Um, in, in terms of our, you, you asked about the hopes for the future, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that the, the, there are some underpinning uh, do's, uh, some underpinning um, uh, asks, so where we would like to get to is to make sure that every property manager is, is competent and capable uh, and they and the, the firms they work for are, are customer focused. I think if they're not customer focused, they, they'll, they'll gradually die out as dinosaurs do. Um, but I think beyond even that, it's about putting the industry into a place where it is uh, behaving ethically. And so many property managers are, 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 are so good and so diligent at wanting to do the right thing. We need to capture that. And if we get that right, if we get all of these components right, then we start to establish trust between customers customers. And property managers, and out of that trust will come better relationships, yeah. uh, less aggressive um, complaints. It will be uh, more of a collaborative hey, something's gone with our building, just letting you know so you can fix it. Yeah, as opposed to you can't manage your way out of a paper bag. Um, that's yeah, great. um, and, uh, and it will make it a happier place both for the customers and for the property managers themselves. So it's
0: about building trust. Okay, yeah, that's that's hugely interesting actually because um, a lot of the people we we've, we've, we obviously interview a wide range of um, people on this podcast and and a number of um, of well um, CPL uh, my software businesses clients that we've had on. Um, it, that conversation about trust and and service with a with a customer is is something that, that that everyone's striving for, but it's so so difficult to provide. I mean, you guys do have a there's a lot there's a lot to to do in there, especially when there is a huge amount of negativity. And you know, I mean, we speak to a lot of people, maybe the property factoring industry in Scotland. And there is that there is a there's a there's a there's a definitely a, a lot of negativity around around the the whole industry. Yeah. So so the the, the steps you're 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 trying to take forward are, are, are very good ones because you're right. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, people it, it should be a, a two way street. It should be a, a relationship rather than almost a customer supplier conversation. Yeah. So. So when I when I was uh, I'll give you an example
2: when I was running my business uh, uh-huh. the, the the staff morale was uh, kind of dropping uh-huh. and uh, and I realised it was because we were being battered by complaints all the, all, all day Mrs. Uh-huh. Miggins is phoned to complain that the bin store is overflowing and I quickly reset the language so instead of um, instead of it being it called a complaint um, you know it was a it was a report it was a problem it was an issue yeah. um, and you know Mrs. Miggins, thank you. For being on site um, yeah. and being our eyes and ears on the ground, you know we really appreciate you working with us on this one. Yeah, we'll get the we'll get the bin store cleared. Yeah, um, and of course, if we didn't get the bin store cleared, then it's a complaint. Yeah, but sure. this, this is and and the, resetting that relationship is is tricky, and okay. it's a it's 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 especially tricky because it's 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 rather like being on a desert island. Imagine being washed upon a desert island with one other person, and that other person doesn't like you and doesn't trust you. How are you unilaterally, single-handedly, going to remake that relationship? Because you're stuck with them. Yeah, you're stuck yeah. on this desert island. You're going to have to make it work. How are you going to do it? Because they're not really wanting to play ball, um, and they don't understand. So the uh, how, that's the challenge which faces our industry in terms of making that relationship. You know, single-handedly, we've got to we've got to learn to dance with our with our customers. Yeah. Um, and, and they're not really in the mood for dancing. So, and, and this is a—it's not uh, unique to our industry. I mean, we, we 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 harp on about it a lot and rightly. But this this applies so to so many other service industries. Only recently we heard the um, the, the pharmacist uh, body uh, producing a report that said that pharmacists are being abused and and, and, that, and yeah. so forth. Yeah. And and you know we've got a similar result with our wellbeing survey. Yeah. Um, the so, so remaking that relationship is a real challenge, but there is no other option. And you know, smart businesses are are, are starting to get their heads around that challenge.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no absolutely. I, I, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? People in in many many industries, you know, do not phone you up to tell you how what a great job you're doing. You know, they only ever phone you up when they've got a problem. And and so uh, we actually we interviewed. <clears throat> your colleague Malcolm perryman um on here about the wellbeing survey and that that was a that was a that was a hard hitting kind of response and the and the the results of that that survey i mean um they were maybe not a shock to you but they but they but they were a shock to me and 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 you know and but but when you dig deeper and ask the questions everyone everyone agrees with it yeah so. yeah 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 okay so <clears throat> So you've been working tirelessly to bring about a resolution to the ongoing cladding crisis, and this is a question we can't really um, really avoid talking about. Um, the most recent developments look like they are a step forward, but you said there is still a mountain to climb. Um, can you tell us more about that mountain and the fire safety delivery group being proposed?
2: Yeah. Um oh, where do you start? Um, so we're now five years after Fall and we've got a whole lot of buildings that still haven't been fixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the buildings with ACM, uh, a lot of those have been fixed, but the the remain. The, there's a we've got a tale of two cities here, a tale of two nations, in that the um, there's quite an interesting compare and contrast between the way that Westminster have tackled this and the way that the Welsh and Scottish governments have tackled this. <laughs>
1: um,
2: and the so, for example, the the Scottish government has really just almost now um, started to realize that there's a limit to what a property manager can do and they're becoming more interventionist in terms of getting buildings fixed and they're fighting with developers to 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 recover where the developer was at fault Um, the westminster approach has been well we'll collaborate and work with the housing associations to some degree but the private sector can pretty much sort itself out you know we will just tell them to get their buildings fixed a bit later on, it was okay. Well, we'll give you some money now. Go and get your buildings fixed. But the the inability of policymakers to fully understand how leasehold works, uh, the the responsibilities and liabilities that accrue both to the landlords and to the leaseholders, mm-hmm. I feel, has probably set back the remediation process by a couple of years. Right. Uh, Genuinely, I think it's 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 it's. um if they've been smarter from the outset, I think we could be further down the track than where we are. But the reality is that the majority of buildings that have um, non ACM cladding that's, that's dodgy um, yeah. is um, uh, continues to be, uh, you know, it's part <laughs> my phone just pinged there. Let me just, sorry, it you. the, um, uh, you know, there's still far too many of those buildings, and progress is uh happening on some of them um i think it's good that the government has lent on developers to get their buildings fixed that's fine but there are plenty of other buildings where there isn't a developer um, mm-hmm. or the developer is coming back and fixing to a standard that is starting to raise eyebrows yeah so um you know we we, we get progress um, more buildings are being fixed great and then we start to realize that there are other worries like is that is, is that building going to be fixed to a standard that will meet the future requirements of the regulator question so there is a worry now that we're starting to build in future problems. The developer comes in, the developer, comes in the developer does work, the developer leaves. Eighteen months later, the building goes to the regulator and doesn't pass muster. Right, well, and, and, yeah. and part of that is down to inconsistent standards. You know, there was the consolidated advice note from government originally, then mm-hmm. that was changed, and, and the, the famous EWS one form came out of that. Yeah. Uh, we're now going to uh, PAS 9980, um, and that's fine, but that doesn't fully adhere to the uh, the Building Safety Act. I know that's south of Hadrian's Wall, um, so the Building Safety Act requires, you know, holistic um, structural and fire safety for the building as a whole. 9980 doesn't do that entirely. Yeah. So we've got a we've got a complexity of standards. We've got different interests coming in to do different works, and. Mm. Um, Uh, And it remains messy Uh, and in the meantime there are still a number of buildings that are orphaned with no developer Um, and uh, new legislation has come in to prevent uh, landlords recovering the cost of um, fixing those buildings uh, from leaseholders Um, and unfortunately that's going to create some traps where buildings are are, are, going to struggle to get the funding without the leaseholders ended up paying. Yeah, and I, I do need to be clear that I think that, um, and we've always held the position that leaseholders should not be paying, flat owners should not be paying for yeah. buildings that they bought in good faith. That's yeah, it's a moral rubric, and it? It, it shouldn't happen. But the different um, jurisdictions, the different uh, governments have have taken different approaches to this, and um, not entirely successfully.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, if you had the power to do what is needed to implement a solution, what would that look like?
2: Um, I think the Scottish government is moving towards it, but I think one of the best examples was from I think it was the state of Victoria in Australia, where government rapidly realised that, uh, rather like the VW emissions scandal, um, you know the thing is of such a scale that it requires state intervention. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily state money, although that too, but state intervention to make things happen. So uh, in the stra- state of Australia, they 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 determined to find the buildings. Um, then fund the buildings um, and get them fixed, and then fight about the liability afterwards. Yeah. Um, and for me, that remains uh, the most sensible way because um, you know, the, I mean, the cost of borrowing for a government is going up, but it's still comparatively cheap. Yeah. Um, a billion pounds that is spent on fixing a building does not go down a plug hole. It goes into the construction sector. It pays. Wages, it pays corporation tax, income tax, national insurance, VAT. So you're going to get yeah. at least half of that billion back straight away in taxes. And yeah. of course, it's economic stimulus. Uh, yeah. and, you know, it's it's pumping money into a an industry which um, uh, which then generates um, profits and generates the economy. So, um, the the you know put the put the money in, get the buildings fixed, and uh, and then pursue the developers afterwards. And there is another um, side to that, which is that where you have a, perhaps a very large, well-funded landlord, a big pension fund, I know that's coming out of your pension and mine, which isn't great, but, but they do uh, at least have the resources, potentially, to take on a PLC developer. Yeah. The idea of residents taking on a PLC developer. Yeah. never possible. gonna happen. Yeah. yeah. So, so the, um, again, a state intervention to lead on that litigation um, or to backstop, underwrite that litigation, <laughs> yeah. um, again, would help the, uh, the, the the industry to power through. So that, there are a number of things. One of the other uh, things that we have long called for, though, was this, you mentioned it earlier, this fire safety delivery group. I think... That probably the time has passed for that label, but the yeah. principle is right, which is getting people, uh, the different stakeholders together in the same room at the same place. I mean, if you were a housing minister, surely what you do is you call everybody into room and beat them around the ears and get them to get moving. Yeah. And that's not happened. Mm-hmm. That's not happened. Instead, conversations have always been had on a one to one, one to two basis. Yeah. Um, and a classic example would be the, um, uh, the, the, way that the government have collaborated with the housing association sector quite differently from the way that they've worked with the private sector whereas the reality is a lot of buildings are combined uh, yeah paper pot stock and so forth. yeah absolutely and, and some of the legislation that's come down the track really it, it kind of works in the housing association space but it doesn't work uh, in leasehold uh, yeah and, and, you know flat, flat front, uh, flat front fire doors uh, are um, uh, uh, one example of that where it looks as though the uh, the, the England and Wales legislation is not um, it's not going to work out quite as intended. Uh, pending legal advice, I'll I'll call that a spoiler alert and move on. Okay, okay,
0: okay. So yeah, I, 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 get, I get the I get the 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 viewpoint because you know I mean the, the, there's been a lot of money. I mean just look at look at the amount of money wasted on COVID and things like that, you know, and, and, and money that went somewhere. And, you know, there's a huge amount of questions being asked about that. So, you know, e- even if you do, you're right, you drop a, you drop a billion, you're going to get half of it back and and, and it's, it's going to fix a problem and also cause a, or, or, or not cause, but but, but bring a huge amount of um, money back into the government coffers as well. So it, it does seem the logical thing to do. It sounds like um, the state of Victoria and Australia seem to have got that one right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, good, good. Okay, so we touched on this earlier actually. Um, the 2022 well being resilience survey closed last month, I think. Um, and, and we're awaiting results. What would your advice, um, for anyone listening to help overcome difficulties in the day to day life of property management?
2: Wow, that is a big question. Um, okay, so the new, re- new survey results, um, they indicate we're still in difficulty. The first year results, and um, um, this is, the. the I'm, I'm, by the way, this is a, a project that was done jointly by IRPM and Armour pre-merger. Okay. Because we both had the same um, idea and we were yeah. starting to run with it. We, so we, we joined together and we did that. Mm-hmm. And And what a good thing it was that we did, because it started the conversation. Yep. and I think um, and and it also you know it started to quantify the problem. This year's results say that we are seven percent happier, but we're still that's from a terribly low base, and it, we're yeah, we're, yeah. we're still not great. Um, in terms of advice, I, I would hesitate to advise any one individual or any one business, but um, mm-hmm. there is a. Transparency about this now. There is a conversation that has been started, and it's valid to talk about it. So I think the very first thing is to is to recognise that this is a thing, and you're not alone, and it is something which it's it, it's valid to feel that way, and it's valid to talk about it. Um, so I, I think that in itself is a is a is a big start. There's some practical advice for IRPM members on the IRPM website. Uh, there are about eight sessions running with a psychotherapist called Adam Laidler. Um, okay. And I know that he's uh, th- th- those have been incredibly well received. And there is signposting to um, other agencies who will be able to give professional advice that I certainly couldn't and shouldn't. Um, but I think beyond that, it's, it's it's you know, you're not alone. A lot of people, not just in our industry, but in other industries, are feeling very much the same way. Um, you know, and there there is hope and there are resources. And those resources can be found at the IRPM website.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, yeah, after the after we spoke about Comparament, actually, we spoke to um, Gavin Percy, who runs um, Mental um, mental health first aid courses um and um, uh, the, the insights that he gave us were just were just phenomenal in, um, in this sort of way from a business perspective it really it really was um, 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 quite eye-opening for me anyway personally okay um so um, UPRN's been been talked about quite a lot can you give us an update what's happening with that and where would you like that to go?
2: um it's making steady progress um, Other stakeholders have come in to join uh, the throng um i mean I, I think one of the original letters to chris pincher had something like 120 stakeholders on it um and it was um it, it's one of those projects which is uh well forgive the expression you know the bleeding obvious yeah. um, but it just needs the momentum to do it and uh, a, a classic example um would be in the private rented sector do we to improve safety would it would it be helpful to have some mechanism knowing which properties are let out and have gas and don't have a gas certificate yeah so you know we can identify the properties there's ways of identifying properties that are tenanted it's not foolproof by any means Um, every gas meter has its own uprn um, if the if, if all they did was at the next time that the gas safety regime is tendered, it's tendered by government every five years, if that tender includes um, uh, heating engineers must put the UPR in on the gas certificate, you can very quickly just do a data run and find out those properties that have tenants and gas but no gas certificate. That's a fine. That's a fine. That's automatic fine. What it also enables you to do is to, uh, you repeat the same exercise with electrics, and very quickly, you start to build up a profile of a landlord that isn't doing what they should be doing. And you can target your very limited resources on there. So so that that's just one tiny example of where the UPRN is, um, is, is, is going. And we were pleased to see in the Building Safety Act that the UPRN will be um, part of the building safety file that goes to the regulator okay and so as the different suppliers start to pick up that database uh, and that data should be freely available if it is being used for regulatory purposes mm-hmm. the government has finally unlocked it not completely but for the regulatory purposes they have right um then um it's going to make the collation of data a lot easier uh, yeah and that has benefits all the way down the track so for example a property goes on the market for sale well, yep. if you've got the UPRN, you can pull various data together because the, the mortgage valuer is going to want to know it. The estate agent, when it goes on sale, is going to want to know it. The buyer is going to want to know it. When the buyer buys it, if they buy to let, the tenant is going to want to know it. The letting agent is going to want to know it. Different pieces of information. The building insurer is going to want to know it. The, the risk manager is. Um, so there's a, there's a property manager are going to be holding a whole load of this safety-related data, yep. farming out different combinations, different parcels of that. Yeah. out to all sorts of different stakeholders um, and using the UPRN to tie the different databases together will help to automate and simplify that and make everyone's lives easier.
0: Yeah, yeah. I do a bit of work in legal as well. So I have an interest in a legal software firm and and, and certainly, you know, all of the information from a conveyance and all of that sort of stuff would be, you know, if these sort of, um, if this becomes, that information becomes readily available, it's going to be so much easier. But but I guess also from a um, from the point of view of you know the person who's buying the property, you know uh, they can. There's just so much info could be made available about the history of that um, that property as well. Because one of the, I guess, the biggest challenges, and and certainly something that we speak to people about in Scotland, which I, I, I understand well, I know is different, um, but is you know. Um, is a is a building actually being looked after or is it just decaying yeah so you know because you know people need to look after their their properties and and um and and the common areas of those properties and and you know these sort of this sort of information um you know would be hugely helpful to the to a person buying buying that property so they can make a decision yeah, yeah.
2: So. i mean it's a it's it's a it's a, an enabling piece of technology. It's not yeah. in its own right.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: you know, imagine if every, every, let's wind the clock back 100 years. Imagine if there was a great big filing cabinet and all the information on a certain thing was all just put into that filing cabinet. Now you'd have access to that information. Well, in the case of the UPRN, um, we'll, we'll, we'll take the idea of a sort of a property logbook people have been yeah. talking about that for 50 years yeah. um, and that's, that's some sort of great big filing cabinet system that's really complicated and who's going to keep it and all the rest of it well you don't actually need that if yeah. you've got a UPRN which is the, a number plate nailed to each piece of information yeah, um, the information can be held all over the place in all sorts of different databases. As long as there's an API which has access to it, yeah, you put a request out that says, "Give me every piece of information that's got that UPRN nailed to it." Yeah, and lo, it all just floods in and collates. Um, you know, it's a little bit of a Halcyon dream, but you don't, you 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 start now by creating the UPRN system, yeah. and yeah, then gradually yeah. over time, it will evolve and grow, and 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 people tomorrow will use it for. Um, all sorts of innovative and creative uh, purposes that we can't even dream about today. If we yeah, don't, yeah. don't put that foundation tag on the data, uh,
0: yeah. it'll never happen. Yeah, no, 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 I totally agree. I mean, yeah, you, you, you can't expect to get the results if you only start now. You, you needed to start 20 years ago. I think legal is, is an interesting one for that, or, or a house purchase is an interesting one for that, because for many, many years, people have tried to kind of create that one place where, um, that talks to everything to get information about a, um, a conveyance, let's say, so, you know, somewhere where they can grab information from the mortgage provider, from the survey provider, from the, from everybody else that's involved in that process. And actually there's a, there's a couple of really interesting, um, you know, with a lot of funding backed businesses out there who are talking to legal um. Uh, software tech providers to the legal industry um, uh, about these sort of things. And, you know, right at the beginning, you sit there and go, yeah, okay, here we go, here's another one. But actually, as the months go by, they start getting some traction, and we just need kind of one of these guys to get traction to get an enormous amount of, um, of benefit from that. But when you've got maybe, I don't know, 150 to 200 different providers. That's a guess, yeah. To tech technology providers, getting every single one of them to divert the resource of the stuff that they're doing to make commercial gain in their product into a project by like it's difficult. But there are a couple out there who are making, who are who are getting there. So, and these sort of things would be would be massively beneficial to them. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: So, okay. So we recently we spoke to Susanna, your learning and development manager. How important do you think qualifications are in property management?
2: How important qualifications are in property management? Wow. Okay. Um, well, I'm, I'm I'm biased, but I'm going to say <laughs> fundamental. Um, but it, it uh, picture a world where. Uh, Every property manager, every property manager that was on your books uh, was fully competent. You know, they knew exactly what they were doing. They had a sure touch, a mature touch, um, a wise head uh, on their shoulders. Um, How smoothly would your business run then? Yeah. And so, um, you know, a a business needs more than just competent people. It needs to have um, good governance. It needs to have good systems. Um, it needs to be up to date. Um, that's where the business support side of TPI comes in. But the um, from a qualifications point of view, if every property manager was um, you know, competent and, and confident, then you would have... Uh, you would be a long way towards having a, a, a better a, a industry, and indeed a kinder and more enjoyable industry to work in. But mm. it goes beyond mere technical competence. The qualifications that IRPM provided uh, originally um, were were great for their day, but they focused on that that knowledge. You know, the knowledge of tenure, how to yeah. how to invoice service charges and things like that. Um, they've evolved dramatically over the last four or five years um, to the IRPM 4 elements Um, so you've got all that technical competence that technical stuff that you ever used to have but on top of that now also there is a strong focus with um, beefy modules on safety um, uh, on customer and consumer and those relationships and communications um, and also on ethics and ethical behaviors and so technical competence safety Customer and ethics are the four elements of a, uh, of a property management professional. And as we develop those qualifications uh, holistically, uh, the objective is not just to provide professionals who have the knowledge to do their job, but actually see the industry in the round and see their place in it and where their firm sits within it um, and why they're doing what they're doing. Um, not just technically, but also you know, ethically and from a, the consumer's point of view. And so um, I think that modern generation of qualifications is much more powerful in preparing professionals to meet the challenges that they face today and will be coming down the track tomorrow. Um, I, um, when I run my business, I, um, uh, I, I put everybody that I could through as many qualifications as possible. Um, Because it helped me to train them, I could train them on the business. But if they if they had that technical knowledge in the first place, it gave me a great foundation to start with. Uh, Um, And it helped me to de-risk the business. Um, They 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 made fewer errors, um, which meant that your business was more efficient um, and uh, you got a better reputation, and that that generated new business. So uh, you know I, I. Practiced before I preached on this, um, which is to get your people qualified and get them up to the best standard you can, and they they will be your best investment by
0: far. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, I, I agree. I agree. You you touched on it just a second ago. So you owned your own property management companies. Can you tell us a bit more um, about that, and also how it's helped in your roles in IRPM and now?
2: Sure. So I I, I qualified as a uh, child surveyor. Um, And then I I was working for a commercial practice. I I was a residential surveyor working for a commercial practice, bizarrely, don't ask. And and I found myself with commercial property clients that had residential stock they wanted managing. and The business I was working for didn't do it. So with the blessing of the partners of the day, I set up an evenings and weekends um, uh, vehicle. To, um, uh, to just look after those clients so that I didn't lose them. They, wanted, uh, they didn't want to go for a multidisciplinary, and they wanted a multidisciplinary practice. Um, but that business kind of grew, and I found myself with two full-time jobs, and one of those was my own business, and so I, I made the leap at that point. Um, so it was a kind of commercially focused, investment focused, uh, residential uh, investment business, and that grew and branched into block management, which became much the larger side uh, of the business. And um, it teaches you a lot. You learn from your mistakes. Yeah. Um, you, um, you learn you know, where you get your communications right and where you get your communications wrong. You learn the value of, of, of people. Um, um, and, um, but I think what it does mean is that when I, when I see a stressed out property manager, um, I've been there. I have been that stressed mm. out property manager. You know, I've had um, resident. You know, I've had that phone call from a resident demanding a, you know, an absolutely apoplectically furious resident, demanding me and my team attend the building immediately for an emergency meeting because the decorator had painted the skirting boards the wrong shade of green. Yeah, not um, an actual. Um, <laughs> uh, and I've, I've had, um, you know, one of my gardeners being abused because he attended in high winds and small tree had blown down, and, the, and one of the residents, um, you know, really had a go at him, you know, because obviously he'd created the storm, not the tree down, you know. Um, and um, so you see the you see the the, the difficult side of that, and I've, I've been there and done that. And you also see, um, you know, teams coming together uh, and doing a fantastic job, you know, getting a, a bad building back into good shape um and um and you know with residents who are pleased and delighted that you've come on board and you've sorted out their estates so i've I've seen the highs and the lows
0: and um and I've, I've i've very much lived it yeah i can imagine i can imagine so yeah i can imagine how that that helps you in your in your roles today which um which yeah i can imagine are very varied and you don't you don't have one day the same as the other no nope, absolutely um, yeah um okay, thank you very much for that Andrew now Jax normally does three quirky questions at the end of our um, at the end of our podcast for a slightly lighter note. so Jack over to you
1: thanks Andrew. so yes, um as Brian said, this is to finish the podcast um. And a little, a little bit of a lighter note. So the first question is: What's your biggest failure across your entire career, and what did you learn from it? I'm not sure if that's light or not. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
2: What a question! My biggest failure across my entire career. Well, I'm not done yet. So, um,
0: so, far so, <laughs> so far, far, so far, so far, <laughs> so far, so
2: far. Oh wow! Um, gosh, I think you probably have to ask my staff that. But the. Um, one that would spring to mind would be that about 20 years ago, uh, I set up an internet, I had a lettings business as part of the investment, uh, residential investment management practice I had, and I set up uh, an internet um, lettings um, facility, so it was the the, the forerunner. I will guess, kind of a purple bricks, um, and, um, uh, and that taught me a few things, uh, it, it didn't work, it was too early, I couldn't, Uh, I couldn't get um, a right move to take the properties on. Um, And without the uh, oxygen of publicity, the thing was never going to work, and and, and it didn't. Uh, But it taught me a few things. It taught me that, um, uh, you know, the early bird might get the worm, but sometimes it's the second mouse that gets the cheese. So Mm -hmm. sometimes let somebody else do the development, and then you just look at the business model and improve on it. Um, And also that no experience is wasted, because the technology that uh, was developed for that um it, it, I, in hindsight i could have repurposed it into my own brand and gone hybrid much earlier than anybody else yeah. um but nonetheless you 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 learn stuff and that um and you and no experience even when it's not successful it's, it's it's never wasted you 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 learn from it and you carry it forward
1: yeah yeah that's so true i've had a recent experience of that myself feeling like um I'm, we've we've done something too soon um yeah, just learn from your mistakes, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, see if you can um, them. Yep. Yeah. So if you ruled the world for a day, what would you do?
2: Okay, first answer to that one would be had sleep. Um, <laughs> let's, have proper, let's have a proper answer, shall we? Uh, if I ruled the world for a day, what would I do? Okay. Well, no, I quite um,
1: like that answer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just, just not set the alarm. Um I, uh, uh, wow, okay. If I ruled the world for a date, right, I'd remove dictators and I'd introduce democracy globally. Um, I would... Um, but you've then got to think about how you can inform your electorate so that they can make wise decisions. So on social media, I would remove anonymity. <laughs>
1: um,
2: if you're going to make some nasty comments on social media, you want your name over it. yeah, um, And you can be held accountable for it. Um, and I would introduce globally... Uh, Fact-based media checking so that um, the the, the media news reports that we get are as unbiased as we can. And anybody that's traveled around the world, especially if you've ever driven across America listening to American talk radio, um, you certainly appreciate that um, for all its flaws and faults, how amazingly good the BBC is in this country of being at least vaguely, um, uh, you know, vaguely... uh, 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 um, factual in their reporting and uh and, and i think the fact that they're criticized by all sides probably means they're, they're, they're probably getting it about right so yeah i would um, i'd want fact-based checking of media yeah yeah i
1: mean because <laughs> media is a whole ball different ball game isn't
2: it maybe something else about modifying the algorithms and the, the likes of twitter so that people don't get fed, <laughs> fed their own opinions back to them which just reinforces um, their own views and, um, and, yeah. and it's an engine of extremism. So I'd, I'd probably do those things. Is that uh, is that global enough for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Fabulous. Extreme polarization is is going to be the death of us all. I think. Um, great, excellent. So the final question, Andrew, is when you're seventy and look back at your life, what will you be glad you did or feel proud of? Either something you've done already or something that you still want to do.
2: When I'm seventy, um, if I make it to seventy, I'll be proud of that. <laughs>
1: that's it. You're quite happy.
2: Yeah.
1: I survived. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Fair enough.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. That's great, Andrew. Um, it's been a pleasure, for you, um to, to have you on. I know we've tried to do it a couple of times, and we've we, we had some setbacks with with some things, but um, that's been really, really useful. And thank you so much for coming on. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.